0: The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello there, I'm your host Peter Strachan. and welcome to Stockheads Rock Yarn. Tambourine Resources is a recently listed energy company with interests in a potentially large tight gas resource in the Northern Territory. To bring us up to date with the company's activities, we're delighted to be talking with the company's Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Joel Riddle. Welcome, Joel. Joel, um, Tambourine has a 25% participating interest with its joint venture partner, Santos, in EP161, where it's actively drilling and testing petroleum targets in the Northern Territory. What has been learnt about the prospect so far and how has information from the recently completed T2 horizontal well assisted with that process?
1: Well, first Peter, thank you very much for the opportunity to join you today. Uh, We're very excited on the active drilling that we're doing on EP161 together with our partner Santos. As you mentioned, we have completed uh, the drilling of, of Tanebruny 2H. This is a a horizontal well, uh, one of the first horizontal wells being drilled in the area of the Betalu called the Core Beetaloo where it's the deepest, most prolific area where the rocks that we're targeting are you know, up to two to three times uh, uh, higher quality than other areas of the basin. The well that we drilled Tanebruny 2H um, was drilled a thousand meters into the most the best part of the the carried Shale target, and the what we saw when we drilled into this this target was very exciting. Um, we saw what what's called naturally fractured shales, and what that means to the layman is that um, you have gas naturally flowing out of your shale target without any stimulation. And that is a very good sign as it relates to when we get to the completion stage later in the next next month or so for potential high productivity well tests coming out of the Tanbury 2H.
0: Yeah, so those natural fractures give you an indication of which way, in which direction you should be drilling your, your horizontal as well.
1: That's exactly right. Um, one of the pre-drill evaluations that the company did alongside our partner santos is to evaluate kind of the system of 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 potential fracturing that were that we would see in the mid-vacary shell and what we saw was kind of confirmation of that we were drilling in the right direction and kind of came in as expected so um you know that's one of the one of the great things about um being on the forefront of your your drilling program is is you get to find out a lot of um, information as you're drilling these initial wells and we're very delighted to have confirmed a lot of our thesis going going in and that we had uh, pre-drill.
0: So Joel, uh, the plan is to drill uh, another well T three and then to uh, test them both. Is that what's going to happen?
1: That's exactly right. So we're we're on our second well bernie three H as we speak. Um, we we're um, about to um, initiate the drilling of the horizontal section on that Tanner Burnie 3H well. And we hope to be releasing some some uh, public disclosure around finishing that well in the next few weeks. Um, and then we're on to um, completing both Tanner Burnie 2H and Tanner Burnie 3H back to back. And we hope to be doing uh, that operation during the month of November and then um, cutting on both wells simultaneously um, you know potentially as early as late November early December and that's when we'll be reporting the results of our of our flow test and this is the thing I'd like to underscore is this is incredibly exciting given the potential for um, both of these wells have a strong potential to deliver what I believe is the first commercial flow rates out of the basin.
0: It's an interesting time. And I was very early in 2005, 2007, up in the uh, Eagleford Shale and also up in the Bakken Shale. So I know what it feels like when you enter a new play. So given the work that you've done and the the sort of size, the seismic you've done and what you've learned from the drilling so far, what do you think the size of the prize is here in, in terms of gas volumes that are recoverable?
1: Well, it's a great question, um, and that's one of the key key things that really, uh, you know, is is really attracted us to this part of the basin early on, is the scale. These are very significant shell shell deposits, and when one of the things that we we had done in the last year is we had a reservoir uh, engineering group called Nedland and Soul that's assessed the information around seismic and, and well data and has assessed up to 31 TCF of recoverable gas resources combined between our EP-161 and our 100% acreage EP-136. And so this is one of the largest deposits um, combined, uh, certainly in the Beetaloo Basin, but really in the whole onshore Australia. This is many multiples of uh, um, comparison versus what you've seen developed in in Queensland in the Bowen Basin. And that's one of the things that is the key features to the basin is how big um, in scale the the potential development could be here. 31 TCF, I mean, this is, again, some I've seen some calculations that suggest this alone could power uh, the amount of electricity required in the Australia gas market for over 200 years.
0: Yeah, for scale, it's about six times the size of the Cooper Basin gas. So that's conventional and unconventional gas that's come out of there. So it's quite a big, quite a big amount of gas. Um, so how much does each of these exploration wells cost to drill and to stimulate? And how might that cost be reduced as ongoing development and production proceeds?
1: Yeah, today, you know, because of the remote nature of the basin. You know the cost of, of of a horizontal well, together with fracking and um, you know flow testing a well up to ninety days, uh, hovers somewhere in the forty million dollar range. Um, so it's, it's quite significant. <clears throat> the good news is that what you see in a in an early basin as it as it matures into a development type manufacturing style of uh, of development, you see cost. Um, drop up to fifty to seventy percent, and that 's certainly what we 've seen when we've studied a lot of the um, plays in the us uh, where you 've seen fifty to seventy percent of the costs come down, and we believe that's that's very doable here in the Beetaloo um, as you get committed uh, toward a development where you might see a well cost reduced from circa forty million dollars to well below twenty million and that's where we're starting to in some of the economics that we've run on on our play on EP136 and 161 we see you know we 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 believe well costs will eventually hover around 15 to 20 million dollars eventually
0: that's right i, I you know, in early days in eagleford they were spending 10 and 12 million dollars on a sort of div- exploration r and d wells and then they got it down to about Below five million by the time it just becomes a bit of a manufacturing job.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And we're gonna we're gonna follow you know the exact same kind of blueprint that a lot of the U.S. producers followed as they got the well costs down, um, you know, in the in the key plays. And you mentioned the Eagle for, Eagle for share. That's that's a shell play we're very familiar with.
0: Yeah. So what's the uh, the current joint venture sites on um, markets for gas? out of the Beetaloo, Are we looking at export or domestic gas or, and what sort of infrastructure would be required to accomplish sales?
1: Well, the, the good news is that there, is a, there was a pipeline constructed in 2018 by uh, a midstream company called Gemina. Uh, they, they constructed an $800 million pipeline that um, is the only pipeline connecting the Northern Territory to the East Coast market. And I I, I would say one of the um, exciting features to the company is that we have a joint venture with Gemini uh, that will allow us in in the first phase of development to access that Northern gas pipeline. And we will target um, initial gas flows from EP-136 into that Northern gas pipeline and into the East Coast market producing. Our target is to produce up to 100 TJs a day uh, by 2025. That would that's what we call phase one and then ultimately uh, depending on the success of that pilot development we would envision there being a, a new thirty six inch pipeline capable of producing up to a thousand TJs a day and you know some of the early planning that we've done around that bigger pipeline would connect Darwin and Wollumbilla, so it would be a pipeline that that runs directly through the Beetaloo up to the up to Darwin and then Southeast into Willemboa. And that would allow um, the Beetaloo to produce um, into one of six demand centers. Um, There's two LNG plants in Darwin that are both projected to be short gas in the next five or 10 years. Um, And then there's of course, three LNG plants on the East coast, very close to Willemboa. And then one from, from Will and Villa, there's existing pipelines connecting into the domestic gas market um, on the southeast area of, of, of Australia. So that's one of the exciting things as we phase our development, starting out with the pilot, um, getting more comfortable, getting Gemini more comfortable and the reserves required to support a bigger pipeline. And we envision that bigger pipeline coming toward the end of this decade, hopefully sooner.
0: Yeah, so what sort of... Uh... Costs or transport costs? Would you be factoring in for gas from the Beedaloo, Say down to Wallumbilla?
1: So today, in the in the phase one of our development, the pilot development, um, we've we've worked together with with Gemina and APA, and we envision a cost of around four dollars a gigajoule to go from the wellhead on EP 136 to the to the end user in Sydney Gate. Uh, roughly about four bucks a gigajoule. What's exciting is as we get to bigger pipelines with more throughput, we're anticipating uh, reducing that tariff by about fifty percent. So ultimately, wellhead to the to the end market would be about two bucks a gigajoule is what's being projected by um, by Gemini. And so, together with high productivity wells with lower well cost, um, we think we can deliver gas ultimately into the southeast market and in, into Willamilla. At around three to four dollars toward the end of this decade which would make this some of the lowest cost gas in in all of australia
0: and it's a pretty dry gas isn't it? it's just pretty much methane and so it wouldn't uh, the processing uh costs wouldn't be all that great uh, on site
1: that's exactly right the based on the the re- recent well testing that we've done it's it runs about methane, very small amount of irregularities in the gas, very low CO2 as well. So you're right, you don't have to do much to the gas to process it. It essentially is pipeline ready.
0: Yeah, that's right. Indeed, take a little bit of formation water or something out of it. So um, now this work that you've done in EP161, how's that informed Tamborin's approach to exploration on its 100% held Beloo Basin permits in, you know nearby well,
1: it's a it's a very good question. This is the one of the most exciting pieces to our business plan is that actually the wells that we're drilling today on EP161 de-risk not only our acreage on EP161 but also our acreage on EP one thirty six and that's from the seismic information that we've gathered to date it's one contiguous shell package that we see running between ep161 and ep136 and further the to the point is the data that recently has been announced from an origin well called the 76s2 that's right on the southwest border of ep136 where they've logged a full section of mid carry shale which further de-risk um our, our shell on on EP 136. So there's nothing better in this industry than others spending money to de-risk your acreage, and that's exactly what what's what's just occurred. Um, so we're you know the strategy of the company at a at a high level is to you know explore at 25 cent uh, dollars, and that's what we're doing on EP 161, and then develop at 100 percent dollars on EP 136. So I wouldn't even call it exploration. I think what we're what we'll be doing. Next year, as we drill our first Maverick well uh, on EP 136, I I wouldn't um, I would be be calling that a a development well because we are designing that to produce um, rather than just explore
0: these basin centered uh, projects. It's uh, it's very much a manufacturing once you, you've you've cracked the nut how to do it because there's a a big learning curve in each basin as well to to know you know just what's the best strategy in terms of how to stimulate it, and you know all of how long you need to drill the the laterals and so forth.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's one of the things that we've been working with our partner Santos on is is the two horizontals that we're drilling on Bruni two and Bruni three are both designed at a thousand meter horizontal lateral uh, length. But what we're doing is um, within that thousand meters on each well, you know, we're doing different. Different stage designs, different cluster spacing. This is all the secret sauce that goes into, as you mentioned, trying to crack the nut on how you complete uh, the mid-bout carriage shell. And so that's, again, part of our strategy is to do that work uh, using 25-cent dollars. And then once we can take those learnings from, From the two wells we're drilling with Santos, we'll be deploying those learnings right into Maverick One. In addition to other learnings, our team um, that we've recently hired from the U.S. have a lot of experience in the Marcellus show, which is the direct analog to the Beetaloo. But those guys bring a lot of, um, you know, over 200 years. Yeah, a lot of smarts, 200 years of experience combined. On the team that we've hired, and and we think that's a that's a significant uh, advantage for our ability to get down the learning curve quite quickly.
0: Absolutely. So, look, given what you've found in terms of the permeability that you've been able to measure, and the, the natural fracturing that you've spoken about, and the pressures that are in the uh, formation, you must have a a pretty good sort of back of the mind idea of what sort of initial flow rates. Uh, you can expect. And, you know, I don't expect you to sort of divulge that at the moment. But in terms of a break even, at a, what sort of initial flow rate would be required uh, with a wellhead price of, say, $7 a gigajoule Australian? Uh, how much gas would you need to, to make that viable? Given you know it's going to cost you something like fifteen to twenty million dollars a well on a production basis.
1: Sure, it's it's a great question. I think it's on everyone's mind today as as we're getting closer to the results of these wells. I think I, th- I think the the reference point that I would ground on is a, a recent industry report that that indicated you know a break even flow rate out in the Beatelu in the core area where we're focused is about three TJs a day uh, or about three million about 3 million cubic feet a day is kind of where the threshold commercial threshold would be out of a thousand meter horizontal that would translate into a, a three thousand three thousand meter lateral producing about nine tj's a day remember we're only we're only drilling a thousand meters on our two test wells so what you would need to do as, as it relates to a development scenario is to multiply by three because a a, a normal Horizontal la- uh, horizontal well in development mode would be
0: about three thousand meters, and in the states they're doing them five kilometers. And I know in the Marsalis, the initial production rates are up to thirty million cubic feet a day. So well,
1: well, it'll look without. I mean, we're going to have to see the results of of these of these test wells. But what what is encouraging is the rock properties that we've seen in our two wells are essentially a laydown of some of the highest rate the rock properties that have delivered some of the highest rates in the Marcellus. So that's sort of a one data point. And then the second data point is when we were drilling the horizontal and the two H well, we saw again, a lot of natural fracturing, which you would expect. And that lines up with what some of our teams saw and the, the wells that were drilled in the early stages in the Marcellus. So everything is sort of kind of pointing to, um, you know a marcellus type performance um the other data point that i would that i would also mention is that we recently um completed a vertical fracture stimulation on tanner bernie one last year and we actually saw 10 million cubic feet a day at the wellhead uh for about a, a, a 90 hour period so you know that should give you some indication given that you know that was the, the one stage was delivering $10 million a day and that we're going to be fracking over a 10 to 15 stages. You know, this, this has potential to be very significant rates and uh, very akin to what, what you've seen in the Marcellus.
0: That's a very exciting story, Joel, and uh, we'll be w- watching in November and December as the uh, both wells are opened up and We'll get some flow rates coming through. So thanks for coming into Stockhead today. And it's a great story. Uh, We'll be watching it over the next couple of months to see how these wells perform.
1: Thanks very much, Peter. It's a pleasure to join you.